Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. When I first decided to do this podcast, this guest was at the top of my list. I, I wanted to speak to her, just ask my producer. I just kept saying, I really, really want this interview. Monica Ramirez is a powerhouse. She's an activist, author, civil rights attorney. She is championed on behalf of farm workers, immigrant women, and the Latinx community. She she published a, a letter called Dear Sisters in Time magazine, which helped spark the Time's Up movement. She's a huge inspiration, and her work has impacted so many people in the Latinx community and beyond. Here's my conversation with Monica Ramirez. Tell me what's going on, because right now, Sundance was happened all weekend. The Latinx Sundance, where I was in person last year you with were, you all at the Latinx house. Helped you launch the Latinx House, which was such an extraordinary weekend of the most powerful mm-hmm. people. Um, and I got Those to moderate people. you guys, you and, and Tarana and uh, Fatima Gosgraves and Olga. Was Olga? No, who was in there? Well, yeah, Olga's Olga? one of the co-founders yeah. and Alex. Yeah, yeah it was- Alex. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. So tell me, first of all, I want to know how you became Monica Ramirez the civil rights attorney. So, you know, I come from a migrant farm worker family. Um, I actually think my parents' story is a much more interesting story than my own. Um, but, you know, I'm sitting in Fremont, Ohio, which is where my parents, both sides of the family, settled out of the migrant stream. So farm workers come here every summer. My family was among those. They used to pick tomatoes and cucumbers and lots of different crops. Um, and, and they grew up during the civil rights era. And, you know, my father lived in the segregated South picking cotton from the age of eight. And anyway, two farmers helped my families break the farm worker cycle. And as a result of that, my father was able to get an education. I am the product privilege that came from that education. So I lived in this town year round in Fremont, Ohio year round in one place, which is not something that farm worker kids get to do. Um, And I became who I am in the world as an activist because my parents understood our privilege. They wanted to make sure that children didn't forget where we came from. So my mom would always say, don't, you know, never forget where we come from. You have to be proud of who we are. And I always thought that meant we had to be proud of being Latinos or now Latinx, you know, we had to be proud of that heritage, but really I understand it. They wanted us to be proud of coming from this farm worker background. So they taught us about it. My parents told, told us it was our job to give back. And so from the time I was a little kid, really, I was part of the farm worker movement and learning about the injustices. And unfortunately they persist today. And the way we met was because I was, you know, we, I was in a, a position and understood sort of the relationship between what farm worker women who live in the shadows experience and 
the pain and suffering that you and so many others disclosed when everything came to light related to Harvey Weinstein. And, and that's what brought us together, that work and that shared pain um, and, and, and the truth telling behind that informed by and really motivated by my family's history. Because you, you were able to write, you wrote the Dear Sisters letter, which was this huge, incredible letter that um, was in the New York Times and, and so many people signed on it. I, I assigned that letter and that be- ended up becoming Time's Up, which you were involved with in the very beginning, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like I, you know, I. With entered- America Ferrara and you. Did, you, you had something yeah, with America. Yeah, I think all- when you connected with, when you connected um, with America and then, because it was really, it was really a powerful moment of, of like, you know, justice for fi- farm workers and the work you did and bringing other people into this conversation other than just a bunch of actresses in Hollywood. And that was what was really important about it. And for me, the best part of that was like, that was, that was the soul of it. And that's what I wanted resonated more, which even though I was an actress in Hollywood, I, I still never felt safe in that. So um, it's been wonderful to like, you know, get to know you and the work that you do. So speak on all, all the work that you're doing now in this time, especially, or how you got from, from before that. And then now. Yeah. Well, so America reached out, um, Tess Rafferty, who is a comedian had actually been in touch first. And she said, America Ferrero would like to contact you. Is that okay? So she passed on my information and it was really interesting because the story behind the story that people don't realize is that, you know, America didn't know me. I did not know her. We didn't know if we could trust each other. You know, it was during a time of great distrust in lots of ways. No one knew who they could really trust in that moment. And so we kind of had to make a pact. You know, we had to come to an agreement that we were going to trust each other and try to go on this journey together. And oh. and we did. Um, and so then she and was, so I say, go, she go. So who, who is sure it again? Letter, say your, your, your crew. Like I, it, so there's a comedian named Tess Rafferty. Oh yes. Tess Rafferty. So that who, was, okay. That's what you just said in the beginning. Okay. No, Tess. Yes. Yes. And at the time you know, I was the president of the board of Alianza Nacional de Campesinas, the national farm worker women's group. And I wrote the letter on behalf of Alianza and so, you know, America and I had to enter into this agreement about how we were going to work together. And she wanted to make sure that the letter that you all were writing back to us in response to the Dear Sisters letter, that it was done appropriately, that it was that it was the right tone. It was the right she language. Was wonderful. I appreciated her respect. Like That was uh-huh. a very respectful thing for her to do. Absolutely. And so that was kind of the beginning of the relationship. And then from there, she wanted to make sure that we had input into what Time's Up would become. And she wa- she wanted to make sure, like all of you, that farm worker women and domestic workers and other women weren't being left out. You know, that the, the focus wasn't just on entertainment because it, it was so good that she did this. Work isn't only an issue that impacts. Yes. It, that was what was beautiful and powerful, and, powerful about it. You know, she, and and then, I thank her so much for that. Thank you, America. She's, she is. And, 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 and they created these beautiful relationships, right? We have friendships that have grown out of that work yeah. and in that movement. And anyway, so where I am today, I, I had also created an organization. Um, you know, I'm like a serial entrepreneur. So I had this organization mm-hmm. called Justice for Migrant Women, which I was leading while also leading Alianza. And um, 
So after Alianza got up and running, because, you know, at that time, Alianza had not been funded. Alianza had not been funded before the Me Too breakthrough or Time's Up. Um, with any significant funding. So we were all volunteering and doing the work kind of on the side and for free. And um, and same with Justice for Migrant Women hadn't been funded. Um, and so after Alianza got set up and finally got funded, I started focusing on Justice for Migrant Women, which is where I spend a lot of my time now um, fighting for the rights of migrant women, including farm workers, and then, of course, I have the Latinx House, which you helped us launch last year at Sundance. Um, which t- tell, that, tell that everybody what that is. I co- co-founded. Yeah, I want to hear because yeah, so that's Latinx so good. House, I co-founded Martinez Kondrecki and Olga Segura. They're both filmmakers. They're founders of Time's Up. I met them through Time's Up. And we created the Latinx House because there are 60 million Latinos in this country and our stories aren't being told or they're not being told authentically or appropriately. And what that's meant for our community is grave harm. You know, when you look at the El Paso massacre, you look at all the different kinds of lies and stereotypes that exist about our community. That has a lot to do with the fact that we're not being represented accurately. So we created the Latinx house to celebrate the Latinx community and to push for authentic representation of our community. And we say nothing about us without us. So we're no longer going to let people make decisions about the Latinx community without actually including us in the process. Um, And so we, we've just been really busy doing work through that organization. and, And then with justice for migrant women, you know, since COVID, Uh, started uh, last March, we've been working really hard to get humanitarian relief to farm workers um, and different migrant workers around the country. And uh, it's been a really fulfilling experience, you know, getting masks and food and money to farm workers around the country. But it's also, as you know, very painful. It's heartbreaking um, to hear the stories of the farm workers who work all day to feed us and then can't feed themselves. It's terrible. You know, the, the farm workers who talk about facing homelessness, you know, even though they're putting their lives on the line to feed us. So we've been really focused on that work for the past year. And I expect that that humanitarian relief work will continue. And now with the Biden administration, uh, we're pushing for real change when it comes to the human and civil rights. Yeah, it's a different day. It's a new new time for us. I got to tell you, I, I sat all day and I sobbed all day long watching just just the hope that was coming. And then you're seeing, you know, and then we heard AOC's story oh, yesterday and her, you know, the, this day of people, women coming out, Evan Rachel Wood about our abuse. It's like, we're not, they tried to squash this, take abortion rights away, put this crazy, you know, lady in the Supreme court that doesn't believe in abortion. Like they are, you know, we saw that with the Kavanaugh hearings and here it's like, no, no, <laughs> women are leaders all across the world. And we're going to, no, no, Can't, no more. That, and that's right. And you know what? I think that that is, we, we haven't given ourselves enough state, space to appreciate this yet. But I think that one of the things that has to be celebrated is we made it through one of the darkest periods of our lives And we came out stronger. We came out with stronger coalitions, with more partnerships, with new friendships. You know, we went to the mat together to fight for each other, to fight for ourselves. And so now it's going to be really important for people to remember that this is not a place 
or time to rest. No, we actually have to keep pushing forward oh, to get. Wait, I, I, one I was more. hoping we were going to have that little rest for a minute, and it was like, oh, there is no way. Now we have the midterms. Are you kidding me? We have to work harder than we've ever worked. No rest. No rest. Well, maybe we take turns resting. You know, because yeah. I do think that we have to rest. Um, we have to rest. Give ourselves space, but I Toronto think teaches like a, self-care. It's like a relay race. <laughs> so we have to just keep passing the baton to each other. Monica, (laughs) Tarana teaches self-care. She really has these workshops and with the work that she's doing for the Me Too movement and all these incredible workshops that are there to help people from healing their, in healing their trauma. And it's very powerful work. And I just heard her speak a couple times, but just, she's, she's really got that heal. She's like a, she really, I just bowed down to her. I'm very excited. I, I, we're trying, she said yes, and she's going to come on this, and I can't wait. The two of you is who I really wanted to talk to. I can't, I can't wait either. I'm so proud of you for creating this podcast. Oh, thank Well, you know, I always love to interview people for many years, so I had these two documentaries I did, and she used to shoot the backstage interviews for Coachella, so I, I, I love this. I love doing it. It's like, this is a whole world, and I just basically talk to people I love and respect and what they're doing in the world because everybody's touching the world in some way that people I'm talking to. I've talked to Frank Faglusi of the FBI. I've talked to Ronan and Jane and um, some musicians, Susanna Hoffs. And that's, that's great. That's such a, you have a, a great list of folks. But this time has been, boy, it's been challenging on relationships, been challenging on friendships it's like, I feel like I, it's like clean house and literally gone and threw stuff away and old stuff away and garbage and closets, right? And a lot of cooking, never done so many dishes yeah, in my life yeah. and, you know, back home. Have you been cooking? Because you're a mama too. You're a mother. Yeah, I am. I have this amazing seven-year-old who I'm currently homeschooling, which is hard. <laughs> um, but you know what? And I've been doing the same thing, Rosanna. I've been, I have purged so much stuff in the last couple of months. I think it is it is symbolic of the purging of the bad and the extra and the weight we've been carrying around. I yes. guess I must have given away like eight garbage bags of things yeah. in the past couple yeah. of months. Yes, me too. Just it's time. It's cleaning house. It's cleaning the, 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 the toxic, even toxic people in our lives. Like it's like, it's time. Let's just be with the people we know are doing the work out there to make a better world and be about love and kindness. That's, that's what I found this important right now. Yeah, I agree. So what are you holding in your heart? What's, what's the way forward for you now that we're, it is a new day and we have these amazing relationships and friendships? Um, I do think that we're all coming out of we're all in collective PTSD from the last four years. It's real. And so the healing of that is like talking, connecting with your friends, even if it's through here, we can't touch as much, but the way forward in my heart for me right now is a little bit more um, self-care, which I haven't been doing and uh, focusing on, you know, taking care of everybody else, taking care of my husband, taking care of my daughter, taking care of the dog. It's just, it's just, it was starting to get the family, like too much. And, um, and I found myself like losing it, like, you know, crying a lot, like, am I having a breakdown? What's happening here? It's just so much stuff come up and just being able to process it and 
part of it is being able to do this, like just connect and feel creative and, and just know that we're really blessed and thank you God that we're on a new path. I'm really very, very hopeful on how the Biden administration is taking this really seriously. He's meeting with environmentalists. So he's, 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 you know, he's got some, mm-hmm. we're, we, we, we're going to, push him along the way and surround him. He's definitely shown that he's bringing in a beautiful cabinet. And I'm, I'm hopeful about that. Um, definitely want to see more of AOC, you know, and I'm glad that she's out there. What do you think? Yeah. You know, and I have to say that I'm grateful. I'm grateful for so many people, but I, I want to, I'm grateful for you because, you know, these have been hard years and, um, I I remember like texting you and like the wee hours, you know, was stressed out about an article I read or, you know, feeling the emotions of the times. And so thank you for being such a good friend and responding to those texts and like having those freak out sessions when we needed to. And I think that's sort of, for me, one of the things I want to talk about more publicly that people look at us and they think we've got it together that we that we have a plan and that we're doing all these incredible things and we are doing great things as much as we're able to but the truth is like we we're all human and we have emotions and we have ups and downs and i think it's really healthy for us to talk about the ups and downs yeah um the help that we're getting to manage our emotions you know the care that we're trying to take because instagram social media whatever platform it shows only a a a snapshot of reality yes and behind that perfect photo is real life yes so i'm really looking forward to talking about real life love and how we're managing real life and that's just what's going to be needed because so many people right now are really struggling and we need people to understand that many of us are struggling but we're going to make it, we're going to make it and we're going to make it together through friendship and relationships and community. And if we feel down to reach out to someone else, because I've noticed, I mean, and there, there's times like like this, like more counseling out there. And I wish there was more free volunteer counseling for people because it shouldn't cost so much money for people who are really in a lot of pain right now and need help and counseling. And, you know, it's, it shouldn't, be expensive but i have noticed that like what is free and you know is whatever 12 steps that 12 step program stuff all of that stuff is free and there's a community of people and it's kind of gets you to look at yourself and i don't know not really supposed to promote that stuff but um i've i i there's it's self it's self-reflection self-reflection owning your own shit yeah, owning your own shit. And you you know, you said at the beginning that you felt like I looked fresh or, you know, just better than I have in a couple of months. And the truth is getting help, getting counseling is it can be expensive and not everyone has avail- available free programs. But I also have found for me, I, I've been doing so many different like I've been doing videos online and you know, looking there's some really great stuff available free webinars and things. I've just been trying to take it all in. I've been like a consumer of education around just my mental health. And I think that we just have to promote that more. There's a lot of stigma around those issues. And we just have to keep talking to people about the fact that it is normal to need help. Um, Yeah, I definitely felt in the last, well, since 
the whole Georgia, around Georgia, <gasps> I didn't sleep for three days. It's Georgia. Yeah. And it was like, Georgia was on my mind. And then when they got in, I was making a peach pie, yes. I swear to God, a peach and pie. And the nations. And then they went, and then they went into the capital. It was so insane what was happening. And physiologically, like my body, I, I got that fight or flight chemical, that crazy fight or flight chemical that usually comes when you break up with somebody and you're in the fetal position crying and that horrible feeling that you can't sleep of a breakup vibe, that kind of chemical in my body from the stress of all this. It was too much, too, like too much. And I found myself being very reactive, like, okay, this reactivity is like yeah, some, in, instantly reactive to some, what something's saying and fiery. It's like, okay, this isn't me. So I went to this, he, there's this guy, his name is Howard Wills, and he's a healer in Hawaii. And he does has these prayers and they're free. They're, you download them. He's great. I want to bring him on here because he's kind of great. And, uh, and it's um, it's concise prayer program. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. Even your worst, worst. So it's Howard Will's concise prayer program. And it's like, please, God, God help me. for you. And you don't have to say God. It could be like, uh, it could be, uh, you know, tree or, you know, heavenly cosmic energy, whatever it is for you that's a higher thing. So, but it's, it. they work. They take bad juju away, I feel like. I, and I say them every day. And um, sometimes he sometimes has a little healing session like every two weeks, which you can join, and it's it's cool. I, I know a lot. It sounds very airy fairy, but all I can tell you is I've seen, uh, I've seen it. The energy of it's just lifting. It's just tapping into positive energy and and forgiveness for a lot of people that we have resentment for. Like I know I carry a lot of resentment in certain areas, and I'm just about letting go of resentment, which is also the twelve steps, letting go of resentment. Resentment is our, is our enemy. The last couple of years you were on the road. I mean, that was intense. So the, then it, COVID forced, forced you like home and, and, and building this magnificent, you know, relationship with your son in a way that when working mothers, which I was one, you know, that time alone with your kid and just really like doing the, doing the real hard grunt work of being a mom. And like, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's heavenly and it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my son Emerson is seven. So he's a little guy and, but he's, he's like an adult. He's like a little, little, little guy. And he, but he has like an adult personality and, and he's, he just me all the time. But you know what? I have to say that you are absolutely right. If, if I had not been grounded because of COVID, I wouldn't have had this time. We've done all sorts of lovely things. We cook together, we sing together, we dance together. Ah. And it's just been special to have that time, understanding that we're in a pandemic and it's been hard for so many people. Um, that has been one of the, I would say, bright spots in this really difficult time is just having the opportunity to be home. And and also to reassess, like, you know, do we need to be gone all the time? Can we do our business and our work differently, you know? And and what is the cost to our children? Because I don't think I fully appreciated how it was impacting him for me to be gone all the time. I was in New York during 9-11 because I had DJed uh, the night before. And Zoe did a picture of the 9-11 and girl crying and my mommy's 
my mommy's working. <gasps> and I, that picture just haunted me always like, oh, mama's working. And did I miss some time? So we've been, her and I have been spending a lot of time cooking now. And since she's 26 now, but, but when she was young, I did spend, of course, a lot, a lot of time. I hated leaving her, but I did have those moments of not being in that important moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I was traveling all the time for work, because I wanted to be home as little as possible, I was always taking these, you know, terrible flights. Like I was on the red eye all the time. You remember, I was like, you know, gone as little as possible, but I was gone a lot. And, and, you know, I was sort of a zombie when I came home because I was traveling, you know, I tried to travel everywhere I had to be in one day or something. So I'd get to the place that I had to go early, early in the morning. And then I leave and I'd get, you know, home at six o'clock the next morning. And it was just like, it was an unsustainable schedule. So I'm thankful that I've had an opportunity to understand that better okay. and, and to figure out how to work differently. But um, you came home and, and you got sick. You came home, but I got you got sick. Did you have COVID? Do you think you, was that what it well, was? No, Do you know? I, they presume so. So, because I lived in a place where they didn't have tests for a long, long time. Because you were um, very ill and I was symptoms. worried. Like it went in your chest, you had all those symptoms, but you seem to be okay now. So maybe it was just a really horrible flu. You know, do you think it? I think I had COVID. I mean, I, I got sick at the end of February and I stayed sick until about the middle of May. And, you know, I was sick How are for a your long months time. now? Do you feel like you have damp? Do you um, feel like, are you like, do you have other hurts or pains or any kind of things after effects from it? I don't think so. I mean, I, it took me a while. I did lose my sense of taste and I did, I did lose oh. some like the sense of smell that took a little while to come back. Oh, um, but you know, I had asthma before, so it's hard for me to know whether or not it affected my lungs. Cause I already had sort of weak lungs, I guess. You're, um, you're so lucky. But you know, Monica, you're so lucky that you survived this. You're really lucky. There's, I, I lost people. I'm sure you've lost people. We've lost people to this horrendous virus. Yeah. It's not a joke. Yeah. We do really need to figure this out. Are, are you, are people getting vaccinated? Tell me about, because that need to, or, or do they want to be vaccinated? Are people into being vaccinated where you are? Where I am, yeah, people are. I mean, there's like a waiting list and, but you know, I'm concerned about farm workers and making sure yeah. that farm workers get vaccinated and yes. making sure that they actually have an opportunity to get vaccinated. So I think that in the farm worker community, there was a lot of fear around getting tested because people didn't want to be blamed for giving, for getting COVID and then giving it to other people. Oh, and in the farm worker oh. community, you know, if people had to quarantine, 14 days of no work and no pay is a lot. You can't go 14 days with no pay when you make, you know, $15,000 a year. Oh, God. Um, and so there was a lot of stigma around getting tested for COVID and having COVID. So we're just trying to make sure that farm workers know that they should get tested, that they should get vaccinated. Governors need to make sure that farm workers and other food workers, other essential workers are being prioritized. Um, we can't have a situation in which essential workers are called essential, but treated like disposable. So that's been part of the work that we've been doing is to, to make sure that at the federal level and at the state level, that, that these uh, political leaders are actually kind of putting their money where their mouth is, you know, because I, I feel like, unfortunately, there's been a lot of guidance given to employers about what essential workers need, but not mandates. So there's no real accountability. And, and we know that 
farm workers, poultry workers, uh, domestic workers. So many of these workers have gotten sick and they don't have any benefits. They don't have any care available to them. So my, so yes, there's an appetite for the vaccination, but my priority right now is making sure that these low paid workers are, are among the people who get, get the vaccination first and get, and get, yeah, there's our essential workers. They're the frontline workers. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So uh, justice for migrant women is an organization that I created in 2014, but it's actually the third time that I've scaled this project three times. So I, I created the first legal project in the United States in 2003. That was for farm worker women who faced gender discrimination. And mainly my work was focused on sexual harassment against farm worker women. And then I took that project and I made it national in 2006. I took it to an organization called Southern Poverty Law Center. And I led that project for about seven years. And then in 2014, spun Justice for Migrant Women out. So the project has been around for a long time, actually. And um, we focus on the rights of migrant women workers. In our nation, people think of farm worker women as being the only migrant women workers. But it actually, um, there are many women who migrate across borders to work. And many of them are low paid so we advocate on behalf of farm worker women and also other migrant women who are moving across borders, either national borders or state borders, in order to do their jobs. So that could include uh, domestic workers, nannies. It could include um, women who are working in some of the cleanup work. So, for example, um, you know, when you think about Hurricane Katrina, there were a lot of migrant workers who went to Louisiana to help with the cleanup work. But people don't usually think about them as migrants. Um, and those are among the migrants who we support through our work. And our work is policy work, educational work, a lot of narrative change work. And um, we've also been working very closely on building out this campaign for national. It's called the National Essential Workers Campaign. Always Essential is the tag. And um, we've been working with other groups around the country, including National Domestic Workers Alliance, Jobs with Justice, and others to really send home the message that we can't just call essential workers essential because of a crisis, and in this case, the pandemic. We have to understand that they and their work have always been essential. So we've been building that out as a part of our work with Justice for Migrant Women. It's incredible what you're doing. Absolutely incredible. How how old were you when you noticed that there was a need to be a voice for the voiceless? Well... My advocacy started when I, you know, I, I think my first activism started when I was 14. Um, so I've been at it for a while. <laughs> and, uh, but it was because I went to a school um, where we were one of the only Latino families, where we were one of the only, one of the first Latino families to really settle where I live. Um, and so because of that experience, different kinds of discrimination, I live in a place where they used to have signs on the stores that said no Mexicans allowed, you know, that kind of thing. Wow. And, um, and so was very cognizant of some of this discrimination and, and pain and harm against the, the Mexican community specifically, because most farm workers in our country are Mexican, um, like my family. And, uh, but anyway, when I was 14 years old, because my parents had taught me about the farm worker struggle and because farm workers always come to my town in the summer, um, there was a news, a local newspaper, it was called the Fremont News Messenger, and they did this huge spread, this full-page spread saying, welcome back fishermen, because fishermen come to my area in June also. And I asked my dad why there was no welcome back farm worker section of the newspaper, 
Mm-hmm. And my dad told me to go and ask because that was, that's my dad. You know, he wasn't going to answer for me. He said, just go ask. And so um, I literally lived down the street from the newspaper. I got on my bike, I rode down the street and I asked the editor why there wasn't a welcome back farm worker section of the paper. And the the gentleman, his name is Roy Wilhelm. I think he was just very sort of tickled by the fact that I rode my bike down to ask him that question. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, who is this kid? Yeah. And, um, and so I knew his uh, family from my grade school. I went to school with his kids. And um, anyway, he didn't have a good answer. And so instead of trying to make excuses, I, I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, Roy Wilhelm said, write about it. Why don't you write about it? And so when I was 14, I started my newspaper beat. And I started writing about farm workers and Latinos in my area. And, and he I put actually, it out. He would put it, would he, did he, and he, oh, that's wonderful. That's so yeah, wonderful. I, wrote, I love that. Yeah, I had a byline. Was that from the time I was 14 until I was 21, I wrote for that newspaper. And eventually when I was a junior in high school. They gave me a column. It was called uh, The Voice of the People, <laughs> which I was like 16. I should not have been the voice of the people, <laughs> but that's well, what the column was called. <laughs> But did this help you get into Harvard, where you went to Harvard Law School? Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't go. I actually didn't go back to Harvard. I got my master's at Harvard. Oh, your master's at Harvard. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I had well, been that's a big deal. <laughs> I had been practicing law for about twelve years before I went back to school. But you know, I don't ever tell people the story. But I went back to school and got my master's because the place where I had been working at the time had received these serious security threats. No one talks about the security threats that we face as activists. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. had <laughs> experienced death threats. Emerson was three months old mm-hmm. and I'd gotten, you know, a series of death threats. And then my organization received we had about 32 serious security incidents in six months. And I never intended to go back to school. I'd never intended, certainly never intended to go to Harvard. Um, and a mentor of mine said, they have a program. You should apply to it you need to get away from your work to stay safe. And so I literally took the last, you know, GRE or whatever the the test is called. I took that the last test I could take um, and applied at the last possible moment. And I got into the master's program and I, but I did it to get safe. Um, I didn't actually go because I wanted to get more education. I went because I wanted my family to be safe. And, uh, but I think all of that helps, you know, I think, the, the work that I was doing as a litigator, the fact that I started as an activist when I was so young, the work that I was doing when I was getting the threats, I feel like all of that helped with my admission to Harvard. Um, but Harvard is not a place that I grew up dreaming about. And, I, and I, I think it's important for people to know that too, because I didn't come from a family or a place where we even knew to dream about Harvard. We didn't know what Harvard was, you know? And when I was getting ready to graduate from Harvard, I told my parents that I was going to get them their plane tickets to come for their graduation. And my mom said, Mija, but, but where, but where are you, where do we have to go? Because I mean, Harvard just wasn't on the map for my family, you know? So we were, I was like months away from graduation and, and my family still didn't really know yeah. what that meant, you know? And um, so Harvard was a great experience. Did they come, did they come to that graduation? They did. Good, they good. came, my whole family. I had like 10 people in my family show up for the graduation and, um, you know, it's it meant something deal. for my family. Of course. Yeah. Makes me yeah, feel very so teary just talking about. 
Yeah, for my family, you know, they always say at Harvard, there's the the Harvard Square, that's sort of the big area that people know. And, you know, I say there are very few people who have the who are able to say that for their their trajectory was from the fields to Harvard Square. And I can say that and with, you know, pride and understanding the privilege. And the question for me is always, what do you do with it? What are you going to do with it? Um, And so Harvard opened many more doors for my work. And that's my goal is to just keep opening doors for the work, for the community. You know, I need to make sure that there are other farm worker kids that get to go to Harvard um, and schools like Harvard um, and make sure that people understand that places like those are places for us too. Um, You know, and I think that's how we're going to change things. We're just going to keep opening the doors, keep creating the doors and, well, Latinx House, um, that's to- a part of it, like to, the, the entertainment so that we can tell these stories and see these stories. I, I remember Lynn manuel came to uh, to Latinx House at Sundance last year um, with his dad, right? With his parents. Yeah, his dad and yeah, his mom. Yeah, and his mom. His they whole were family both came. Yeah, his whole family came. And that that was great. So I could talk to you forever because I miss you. I know. I know. I so we, we have to talk anyway. We, I love you and give my love to Emerson and all your loved ones. Thank you for everything. And I, you, I just want to say this podcast is wonderful and it's going to be so successful. And I can't wait to hear all of the guests and all of the conversations. Thank, thank you, honey. Will you tell Tarana that it's okay to talk to me? Because she said yes, but she hasn't done it yet. Just say, please, you had a good experience because I, I, I'm dying to talk to her. And we have a lot to talk about right now in this time of yes. self-care and her healing and her she's a powerhouse i want to hear her. she is i will definitely i thank will send her your love and i will tell her that we did this show together okay. and thank you thanks for putting up with my the snowstorm and the All bad right. connection oh i love you guys i love you and give my a big hug to to my pal i will okay, sending honey. you my love see you thank soon you. bye honey bye. bye bye hey everybody thanks for listening be sure to rate and review Radical Musings to help other listeners find the show and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast to be alerted every time we post a new episode. Radical Musings is brought to you by Audio Up, produced by Krista Liney and Carla Braun, edited by Jeremiah Zimmerman, production support provided by Ashley Ardent, Sam Winter, Tyler Dorson, Emma Rappold, and Richard Regal. Thank you all so much. Hey, howdy do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.